0: Gonna start out with Pango, P-A-N-G-O, and you know what? Let's just take Pango M-M at the same time, just to make this a little bit more efficient. I'm actually out of town right now. I'm, I was in, uh, or I, I live in Lawrence, a little town called Lawrence in New Zealand, and there's uh, a um, a nearby, let's call it a city. We'll just call it a city for the sake of argument, called Invercargill, a little bit south. Uh, and I'm visiting Invercargill for a variety of reasons. Never been there before. Uh, that's one of the reasons I want to visit it. I've just, you know, there's a lot of there are a lot of places in New Zealand I have never been. Uh, even though I've been here now ten years, if you can believe that, uh, you may be able to believe that. I can't believe it, but I have been ten years here. Um, and and you know, there are still places I've never seen. So why not just go see them all? So that's where I am right now. Um, so in this episode, I'll I'll get through the the peas in the in the L section of the Slackware uh, install, and then, and then call it, call it, uh, you know, end the episode, call it quits. I will end the podcast. No, I will call this episode quits, uh, just because I, like I say, I'm out of town. I don't, I don't have time to sit around and record all the way through the P's and the Q's. I gotta stop at the P's. Okay, so, Pango, Pango M-M. Pango uh, is the rind, or the, the text layout and rendering library, uh, internationalized text layout and rendering library used by GTK. If you go to docs.gtk.org slash pango, then you'll get all the documentation, including all of the different classes and the different functions and all these other things. This is a very low level library. This is dealing with stuff that you just don't think about all that often. You're probably not going to use this directly. Well, I mean, no, you're going to use it directly. A lot of times when you use this, it will be because GTK is using it anyway. So it's not necessarily something that you're going to really give that much thought about. Depending on what you're doing, though, you know, I mean, it it does obviously depend. But there are classes like font. Uh, What font is going to get used here? So you might use that class, I guess. there's layout. How do you want the lines of text in your application to appear? And by that I mean, like, how much space between the two lines of text do you want to have in your application? Well, I mean, obviously that's, so that's the layout class within Pango. Um, but but there's a lot of other stuff, like uh, there are functions to allow, to, to help you create a background color or change the font color, or as I said, to set what font you want, or the font scale, the foreground color, and so on. If you think about the text bar in LibreOffice, then you can kind of imagine that, but the code version of that. This, This does all of that stuff, except you're just typing out the code. And in, for instance, CSS, where you're, you're, applying different styles to font based on tags, or based on the class of the, of the element that you're, that you want to, um, modify. Again, kind of the same idea here. Now, as a hobbyist programmer, I look at this sort of thing, and I just think, well, I'd rather do it in CSS, or I'd rather do it, I don't know, some other way. And that's perfectly fine. Like, if that's you, that's perfectly fine as well. But somebody's gotta make the easier ways happen. Like, CSS wouldn't just, it doesn't just happen on its own. Someone has to program the browser that then respects the CSS's wishes. This is the library for those people. Like, this is what they're using. Like, literally. Like, this is what Firefox uses. Pango is, is the library that lets me see the stuff in my web browser uh, according to the way, well, actually, you know what? I don't, I don't know that that's entirely true because the the web page rendering itself might be done through something else, but but certainly the the interface is is using Pango like the the actual you know the application itself. Uh, so Pango MM, of course, is the same thing except it's for um, C And then there's parted. That's the next uh, thing in this list. Now parted um, is kind of an interesting thing to have in this section. Because, like many other things, I think of this primarily as an application, uh, and and there is indeed an executable file in user uh, s bin. There's parted and part probe. So why is it in the lib section, the l section of Slackware? Well, there is a libparted-fs-resize.so, libparted.so in the lib64/usr/lib64 f- slash slash directory. So there, there is a library for for parted, and I'm I'm gonna assume that the thing that uses that library is parted itself. Um, let's see, ldd on user sbin parted only actually confirms that libparted is being used by libparted. I wonder if part probe is using the other library. No, I, I can't find what's using that other library, but that's fine. Partit is a great application. It is, um, for me, the superior uh, partition manager or partitioner for a terminal. Um, I mean, and I say for the terminal because, I mean, that is specifically what I'm what i like about parted uh is that it you know it, if i have to do partition stuff in a terminal which i don't love to do to be honest then i would want to use parted rather than fdisk although you know what given given sometimes actually uh i do actually don't mind cfdisk or cgdisk but look i mean bottom line is i hate partitioning that that's a thing that i just don't like about hard drives i would like it more, I guess, if I could just say, there's my hard drive, make it all this file system. Of course, except when I need more flexibility than that. And then, I love partitioning. And that's the catch. That's always the catch with these sorts of things for me. It's like, I don't want to be bothered. This is horrible. This is the most painful, stupidest, most manual thing ever in the world. Why is it so horrible? And then, of course... When I need it to be the most manual thing in the world, then, then it's brilliant. It's the, the most, it's, this is the kind of thing that, you know, th- this is why I use computers, th- th- because of the, 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 the precision that I can have over this hard drive. So it, it really is, it's a love and hate relationship, I guess, where it's, it's a little bit of love and a little bit of hate just at alternating moments. Is that what love and hate is? I'm not really sure what a love and hate relationship is. But but whatever it is, I have it with Parted, or what, I'd rather with partitioning disks. And Parted is a really good tool for doing it. And the reason it's such a good tool is because it's it can be non-interactive. It, it doesn't have to be. It can be interactive. But you have the choice of it not being interactive. So for instance, if you just type in uh, Parted, nothing will happen because it's in SBin. Um, and you probably don't, as a user, don't have that in your path. So, I'm gonna become root, and then I'm going to type in parted, and nothing happens. Oh, there we go. Okay, wow, that took a weirdly long time. Is that a bad sign? Does that mean my hard drive is about to fail? I don't know. Hopefully not. I'll have to run, uh, smart, smart cuddle on it soon. But, um when you launch parted, if you just type in parted, P-A-R-T-E-D, and then press return, then you are placed into an interactive parted console, which is kind of nice. And it says, welcome to GNU parted, type help to view a list of commands, which is like, honestly, one of the most helpful prompts I've ever gotten from a terminal application. It tells you exactly what to do next. It's like, Press help or, or type help. Um, of course, from then on, you're on your own, so uh, it, does, it doesn't last. But there you go. There's there's the thing. It's interactive, and it gives you a list. A line check. Type in help. Make label. Make table. Make part name. Print. Quit. Rescue. It's promising resize part remove dangerous select device and so on there's a bunch of different options as you'd expect now the the important thing to note here is that because you just typed in parted and hit return uh, hit enter whatever um it it defaults to your as far as i know actually you know what no, I, yeah, I as far as I know it defaults to your boot device. So in this case that's dev sda. And if that's not the device you want it to default to, then you need to be aware of that because uh that could be, you know, bad uh, if if that wasn't the device that you wanted. Uh no, that's not the your boot device. Sorry. Um it's defaulting to the first drive in the device list. So dev SDA because my boot device is actually dev in VME zero n one, which I should have known. I don't know why I didn't think of that. Um, so dev SDA. So um, yeah, that's, that's going to like the first drive in the list that may or may not be the drive that you want it to be looking at. You need to be aware of that before you know, removing a partition or repartitioning something. So you can avoid that by doing parted dev slash sd, you know, something else. Let's do sd, looking for something I don't mind putting at risk. How about sdd? Okay, now it launches parted that that interactive interface to dev sdd. So now that's the that's the active drive within parted. But I don't really l- necessarily love the interactive interface, so I'm going to type in quit and leave that interface because that's not that's not how I use parted. I prefer parted as a um as a non-interactive that's why I like parted because you can do this and then walk away, or you know, you probably don't have to walk away, but you could do this in a script, and that's really nice. So parted, uh, let's do s uh, a dev sdd space print. That's a safe command. So all we're doing there is printing the partition the partition layout of slash dev slash sdd, and it prints it out to my terminal. It tells me the model uh, of the drive. It tells me the the disk that I'm looking at which is dev sdd it's 320 gigabytes here's the sector size in logical and physical values partition table the the, the kind of partition table it is this one happens to be an ms dos partition table because it's a you know like a traditional old style drive not like a GUID partition and then it prints out the actual partition layout so there's partition one is 1049 kilobytes at the very front of the drive that's the little boot partition uh partition two is probably the swap yeah swap space and then partition 3 is like a 320 uh, uh 300 so it starts at 319 gigabytes ends at 320 gigabytes so it's a 1 gig um oh sorry so that's the swap space uh, partition 2 is 5 tw- from 525 megabytes to 319 gigabytes uh and that's the 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 drive itself and then at the very tail end there's about a gig of swap space probably because whatever I last had on this drive mandated a a swap space because I wouldn't have I don't think I would have done that myself not certainly not it's only a gig um anyway point is that's the layout and if I wanted to repartition this I I could uh with parted and uh, the way I would do that I guess is do parted dash dash help first to get that that list of of, um, commands, and then I would do something like parted slash dev slash sdd, uh, and then we could do, like, a different partition. So we could, well, we could also change the table, uh, type or the label, um, and that is, let's see what the options are there. Make label, we've got create a new, a new disk label partition table of label type. Label type can be any one of AIX, Amiga, BSD, DVH, GPT, Loop, Mac, MS-DOS, PC, 98, or Sun. Well, uh, in this case, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do GPT. Actually, you know what? I'm going to I'm going to stop this process right now, and <laughs> I'm gonna I'm just going to make sure I'm I'm going to use a fake drive. I'm I'm starting to scare myself with um with the possibility of writing something writing over something that i don't intend to to overwrite so i'm plugging in a usb drive which i've just confirmed comes up as sdg and so now i'm going to do a parted slash dev slash sdg print and that confirms that this little thumb drive has about it's a two gig thumb drive so it's ancient it's got some data on there but i do know that i don't care about that data so i'm gonna i'm gonna use this as my test my test drive so the the thing to again remember about parted is even when you're doing the command on you know not interactively non-interactively uh the 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 name of the drive or the, the the drive the device location dev sdg or whatever it is is the first thing you enter parted and then the thing and then all the options come after it i i feel like that often feels wrong you know we're we're very we're typically trained by our commands that it's the command and then a several several sets of options, and then the the thing that you want to operate on, and for whatever reason imparted that just throws that out the window and and you, you it's parted space device. I don't love that about Parted. I really I I feel like I feel like repetition is the key to mastery and I just don't like it when commands decide to invent their own new rules, especially when that command is something that is potentially catastrophic. I mean, this could be this could ruin your drive. Uh but you know that that Having been said, I've never had parted ruin a drive because I've forgotten to put the dri- the drive name in first. In fact, quite the contrary. Very frequently, it 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 you know, I mean, well, all the time, it 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 errors out if I forget the drive name because it can't find the drive called uh you know I don't know print. So parted space print space dev sdg could not stat device print. No such file or directory. Yeah, well, that's correct. Again, I wish it it could have told me like maybe like. Cannot stat device print. You must enter the device, uh, you know, first in the command, you know, so, so that I would know what to do. But error messages, I don't know. So anyway, parted-dev-sdg-print, yeah, I got that. It's two gigabytes uh, large, and the partition table is MSDOS. so let's change that. Let's do a parted-slash-parted-slash-dev-sdg, um, what is it, make-label-gpt, that's the GUID partition type or table, whatever, whatever. And that's it. So I'll just press return and let it rewrite the table. It warns me, hey, if you do this, you're going to destroy the existing table and all data on this disk is going to be lost. Are you sure you want to do this? I'm going to confirm that I typed in devsdg. I did. And then I'm going to type in the word yes and hit return. And it says, hey, you may need to update at cfstab. Well, I don't need to do that yet. That doesn't matter to me quite yet. Uh, So I'm going to take a look at the print again, parted dev sdg space print, and now I've got a new, I've got an empty drive. There are no partitions on here. It's just this GPT partition. Well, what would have happened? What what if I did that on accident? Like, what if that was a mistake? Could I rescue what I just ruined? Let's try it. Parted uh, slash dev slash sdg rescue... I think. Yeah. Rescue. And then it says rescue a lost partition near start and end. Okay. So I'm going to scroll up in my terminal here and find the, the place where I printed the partition. Okay. Well, I don't have that. I don't seem to have that in my, in my, in my scroll back. I don't know where it went. Did I do that in a separate terminal or something? Maybe I opened a new tab and and did that or something. I'm not sure where it went. So all right, so I don't have the start anymore. But I could take a, a guess and say that the the first let's say the first bit of data on there starts at 1,000 or, or 1k. Let's just start at 1k, and we know that it's two gigabytes in size. So I'll put two gigs for the end. And it says that a FAT-16 primary partition was found at 1049k, which is actually what I figured it would be, uh, all the way until 17.8 megabytes. And that's right, because I had noticed that the disk was 2 gigabytes, but that the data contained on it was only like a couple of megabytes. And it says, do you want to add this to the partition table? So I could say yes, and now if I do a parted sdg dev sdg print again all of a sudden everything is sort of back where it where where it started now if i go out to dolphin and go to that drive amazingly yeah all the all of the stuff here this was a linux uh, this was a usb slack uh like a boot drive you know the, the little U- usb boot drive that you make when you're doing the install that that's what this was uh so here's like a text file i'll open it up standard modes to make this kernel pro- yeah like the text is here like i've I've rescued a partition that I that I just accident you know quote unquote accidentally blew away and I did that without knowing the start the exact start and end. I put in 1k it should have actually been 1000 um 49 and I put in uh two gigs for the end when actually it should have been 17 point8 uh, 17.8 megabytes so just with sort of a hazy memory of what was I've been able to restore the the partition that I just Deleted, or rather, rather overwrote. Uh, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna actually overwrite it again. Parted slash dev slash SDG make label GPT. All right. So once again, it's, it's, it's warning me that. Uh, oh no! Actually, now it's warning me that I've mounted that drive. So I need to go up to my little thing. I'll safely remove that drive. Uh, I'll cancel this command and then redo it. There we go. Error opening SDG. No medium. Oh, because I. All right. Hold on. I gotta. Remove the thing from the USB port, plug it back in. Now, because I've done that, I'm gonna just confirm. Just make sure that it's SDG still. Yes it is, okay. So now I'm gonna do the same thing. Parted, yes. All right. So now I'm going to print sdg uh you know parted dev sdg print. Here we are again. No partition. It's a gpt uh label, disk label, and the the maximum or the 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 volume, the the size of this drive, which right now is empty or claims to be empty. I mean, we have just proven that we could rescue all that data with a quick restoration of the partition table, but it 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 thinks it's empty. It's asserting that it is empty. I'm agreeing with it. Dev SDG, 1940 megabytes. So, if we want to make a partition that takes up this entire drive, we could do a thing like parted slash dev slash uh, uh, SDG space... Um, actually, I have complete... Oh, make part. M-K-P-A-R-T, make part M-K-P-A-R-T. And then we could say the start and the finish. So we could say um, 1K to 2G. Again, just basically, you know, kind of, again, just kind of winging this. Just saying, yeah, you'll probably need a kilobyte to um, to sort of g- establish, you know, boot flat or, you know, like disk labels and things like that. And then just take it to, you know, pretty close to what we'll call 2 gigabytes. I mean, it probably won't be 2 gigabytes, but roughly. Or I could say 100% as my end point. I could do that as well. Um, let's try 1k to 100%. Uh, no, actually, it does not like that. Okay, interesting. Oh, wait. is Am I forgetting a flag for make part? Let's see. Make part, I think... Uh, fs type is optional part type is required though that's what i'm forgetting okay so let's do a man of parted let's look for make part create a new partition part type may be specified only with ms dos and dvh partition tables oh okay so that's oh but it should be um one of primary logical or extended name is swap in TFS, riser fs udf or xfs no sorry i skipped a line name is required for gpt partition tables and fs type is actually optional uh we could do a partition type uh, an fs type okay that's a lot of information but i think i get it so we're going to do parted slash dev slash sd make part. So I can put a name in here, so I'll put my partition. For the name, I could do a partition type, so let's just do, I guess, ext4. And then I'll do the start and the finish value. And again, start, I'm going to say 1k, and the end is 100%. Let's see if that works. It says, warning, you've requested a partition from 512 bytes to 1940 megabytes. That's sector 1 to 3,788,799. The closest location we can manage is 17.4 kilobytes to 1940 megabytes. Is that acceptable? I'm going to type in yes. Uh, And it says the resulting partition is not properly aligned for best performance. And this is another, you know, I mean, this is what I'm talking about, right? The manual labor of, of doing partitioning. So this is an error that's pretty common. And what it's telling you essentially is that for for whatever reason, and I don't know whether this is on all drives or this drive, I don't know what the, I don't know enough about how all of this works, but it's telling you in cryptic language uh, that, so 34 sectors divided by uh, 20, or rather, 34 sectors, yeah, divided by 2048 sectors with the, um, uh, the modulo does not equal zero sectors so the the this uh, sector is not not aligning correctly and and it doesn't like that so that so what does that mean well it means that instead of starting your disk blindly at 1k or 0 or or 17 dot what did it try to tell me to do 17.4 kilobytes instead of doing that well just do 2048 sectors as your start point so 2000 s, 2048 s and then the end point we'll do at 100%. So the whole command that actually works for me is parted slash uh, parted space slash dev slash sdg space make part space my partition space ext4 for the file type uh, file system type space 2048s for the starting point space 100% for the end. Just go until you can't go anymore. And then that does it without any errors. Now if I print, I discover sort of what that all resolves to. And the resolution there is that... I've got one partition on my GPT disk. Uh, Number one partition is starting at 1,049 kilobytes. There's that number again. Ending at 1,939 megabytes. So the size is 1,938 megabytes. The file system is FAT16, and the name is my partition. Why is the partition type FAT16? I clearly did something wrong there and that's okay uh, i'm not gonna go back and debug that actually uh, to do to do anything with a file system normally anyway i i just do mkfs.ext4 slash dev slash sdg and of course we know that this partition is one so it would be sdg 1. And that creates a file system on this drive. And now if I do a parted print again on SDG, I discover that there's 1049, one, yeah, blah, 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 file system ext4. So that's correct. Um, It could be that the file system type in, yeah, I'm assuming that the file type partition in parted is just setting a flag rather than actually, you know, it's not making the file system. So I I don't know what the point of that is. And I've never actually, and I don't think I've ever tried specifying the file system type uh, and, and really to create the file system within your partition because a partition is just just imaginary it's just a rope right you're just you're just uh, taking tape and and sort of laying out on the floor this is where I want my data to go well that there's no data there yet you've just made a, a little space in your room where you're going to put your data file system that's that's actually making a box that's making the space for stuff to go so the the full sequence of events. Here is you do lsblk, lsblk in your terminal. That gives you, and this is bef- I'm, I'm li- this is the first thing you do right when you think I want to partition a disk. Stop. Do lsblk. Get a readout of all the disks that are currently attached to your computer. Then attach the disk that you want to partition. Then do an lsblk again to make sure to to verify that this new disk that you've just attached to your computer has a a designation that you know, right? So because you never know, it should just get tacked on to the very end of the list. But sometimes things can get confused. And you know, you'll remove a drive and put a new one in and it'll take the the designation, a surprise designation, or it'll skip a designation, whatever. So just visually confirm that that's the case. If if your drive is already in your computer, you may well know the designation already, it might be the only drive in the computer. Um, But I, I can't think of a case where there's only... You wouldn't be partitioning, you know, the one drive in your computer or else you wouldn't be booted off that drive. So, yeah, I would just always use LS Block to, to determine the drive that you really, really want to target. And you're going to know which drive it is, by the size of the drive, by maybe its mount points. I think that's about it. And once you get that des- designation, then do parted, that designation. So I'll just do SDG again. And then print to really, really make sure that you're looking at the drive that you believe you're looking at. And that, that gives you more information. It gives you, like, the model. This is a general U-disc. I don't know what that is, but I mean it's it's definitely not an ATA drive. That's good. And then once you have that, you can do your your you, you can create a partition with parted slash dev slash whatever drive you're doing, uh, make table or make label it's it's literally the same thing it's just two different terms make label and then whatever either ms-dos for sort of general highly compatible backwards compatible uh drive structure ms-dos or gpt that's the new one you have to do a gpt if you want to drive over what is it uh, four gigabytes or something or eight gigabytes or i don't know something no four four terabytes uh, I think, yeah, maybe over four terabytes, something like that. It, it's very, very large drives. It has to use a GPT. Uh, otherwise, you can use MS-DOS. Like I say, that'll keep it backward compatible. Once the the partition table exists and you can confirm it again with the print then you want to make the partition or a series of partitions and that's up to you and the way that we finally got the partition to work is we did parted slash dev slash sdg or whatever make part m-k-p-a-r-t and then a partition name like my partition or my first partition or my boot partition whatever slackware whatever um And then a file system type optional, that didn't really seem to work for me. Uh, And then the start and the end of that partition. So if you've got a four gigabyte drive, and you want two partitions of two gigs, then you would do something like 2048 sectors to two gigs. And then you would go from like the end point of that partition to the end point of the drive. So maybe like two gig to 100%, that would probably work. Um, and and you'll get errors along the way, possibly about like alignment and sector size and things like that. And you can adjust based on the feedback. It's not great feedback, but it typically throws numbers at you that you can then base your next guess on. And then once you're done with Parted, after you've made all your partitions, then you're done with parted. And then you can move on to the next step, which is to actually put a file system into those partitions. And they don't have to be the same file system. You can do ext4 on partition one, and then uh, butterfs on the next one, or jfs on partition two, or xfs, or whatever you whatever you think is necessary. Uh, you can do an ext4 on one partition and then like a... Uh, what, what's that one? fat v fat? Or no, X fat. ex fat for uh, like, you know, broad compatibility. It is now time for a coffee break. Oh, and there are a lot more peas than I realized Uh, I mean, to say nothing of the fact that I've just spent like 20 minutes on Parted when I should have spent like two minutes on Parted, that's a lot more than I realized. We're not going to get through all the peas in this uh, episode. That's not a problem. We'll have coffee, we'll relax, and we'll get through what we get through. Starting now. Get coffee, relax. (laughs) ¶¶ I'm back with coffee. This is the this is the coffee I was talking about last time. It's called Sacred Grounds. That's that's very sort of um, that's a bigger name than I thought it would have, but that's what it's called. Sacred Grounds is the brand, I guess, and then Mahia is the I guess the 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 variety or the roast M A H I A Mahia, and it is legitimately one of the best coffees I've had in a long time. And I know I I do tend to have high praise for many of the coffees that I try but but this one this one is special that that was it's been really good I just opened it like last week I think right uh right before the show essentially like a day before the show maybe I think I think actually the evening before I recorded last week's episode and or was it 2 weeks either way I'm I'm almost out it has been so good and I'm really going to have to make a stop at that cafe just to get more coffee next time I'm out that way. It's just got that, that nice full body to it, and then that just that hint of a dark roast. Just a hint. It's just like, oh, by the way, forgot to tell you, There were a couple of really darkly roasted beans in here. Just a couple. We consolidated them for you. So, yeah. Absolutely a fan of this coffee. Highly recommended, should you ever come across this exact coffee. And it has to be this one. And I can only imagine that there must surely be other coffee companies out there called Sacred Grounds. That just sounds too... That's a pretty good pun, you know. Um, And and Mahia. M-A-H. I-A. and I, Or it could be mahia. I don't know. Uh, in, if I'm a kind of going with the concept that maybe it's a Maori word, in which case it would be mahia, I think. Although there's no macron over the A, so eh, maybe not. Okay, anyway, um, we should keep going with the the applications here, the libraries, because I really did, I actually really wanted to get to Pipewire. That's, that's kind of the star of today's show, which is going to be inconvenient when I don't get down to Pipewire. So let's see if we can get to Pipewire today. Uh, Parted, we did. PC Audio Lib. PC Audio Lib is a portable C audio library that provides access to ALSA, Pulse Audio and also espeak-ng, which is where the package, where the library comes from, that is provided by espeak-ng. Espeak-ng, of course, is Espeak Next Generation or New Generation, whatever ng actually stands for, and it is the text-to-speech application, one of the text to speak applications provided on Linux. Uh, PC Audio Lib, like I say, I mean, it's a C library, it lets you talk to the, the audio stack through either ALSA, directly to Pulse, uh, OSS, that's it. Okay, right, let's talk next about PCRE. That's a Perl-compatible regular expression library. I think it was just two episodes ago, I think. I was talking about Regex and how there were different expressions <laughs> of regular expressions. There, there's not really a set sort of a, a law about how regular expressions are written, but the PCRE, or, the, or rather the, the Perl method of regular of regular expression, is pretty darned close to being a a standard. I mean, it's it's kind of a it, it's pretty well known. I mean, Perl for a while was kind of the scripting language of open source. I mean, it was the it was a big deal. It, it I keep thinking to myself i think of it as uh essentially as bash plus plus that that's how it feels to me when i'm writing pearl i'm a i'm, I'm very very fond of pearl i have found you can hear all about my thoughts on pearl back in episode 429 431 and so Perl regular expression kind of got you know relatively well known I'm not saying it's the only well-known one. I'm just saying that's that's one of them. It's a big deal. PCRE is Perl-compatible regular expressions using essentially the syntax uh, and semantics as those found in Perl 5. But it's not. This isn't for Perl. PCRE library is a C library, so it's essentially. Uh, I don't. I. I was going to say backporting, but I mean it's not backporting. But it's it, it's enabling you in C to use regular expressions that you would have become familiar with or or used to uh, when while using Perl. So that that's it's quite nice. Um, this is the kind of uh translation layer almost that you know not, not necessarily for regular expressions really but, uh, but i mean just for anything it's it's great that that sort of thing exists i mean i i love that kind of thing where you just develop a preference you know you, you can think of it uh as e- in emacs there's vile mode which is how it which is you can use emacs but with vi or vim key bindings sounds like a crazy idea but that's a perfect expression of 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 the same thing, pearl and C like it it's just it's not that one is right or one is wrong. it's not that one's better than the other. It's just literally you happen to prefer that way of doing it or you just got used to doing it that way. I mean that's kind of at the point at the at where I am with with Emacs to be honest it It isn't necessarily that I necessarily like have nostalgia for Emacs or that i that i feel particularly fond of emacs it's just that when i started using emacs i i found that it really worked for me and it's really hard to switch away from emacs i mean because there are just certain things in emacs that are just so nice so efficient and i just can't i can't give that up so i i feel like that's the same kind of thing if you if you knew pro regular expressions then why why give that up just because you happen to be writing c today and i wish that was just for a lot more stuff you know just a lot more stuff on computing where you have these little all, almost modular preferences down to the down to the keystroke or or down to the asterisk and, and you get to take that with you into whatever else you want to take it to i i don't know how that would even be implemented i mean that just seems mind-blowingly modular maybe you know like you just pick and choose and how would you even assemble it like i don't even know but I think when you see it, it sure does feel good. You know, it's just like, yeah, that's great. I've got, I've got exactly what I needed. This over in this new application over here, perfect. And it just, it's, it's nice. So, and I think ideally, computers would be that all over the place, but it's just not there yet. I mean, we're, I don't think we're anywhere near that. That's just such an advanced concept to have a computer actually just fulfill all of your preferences. That, that's just stunning to even cons- conceive of. Okay, so PCRE, PCRE2, those are those are there, those are libraries. Let's talk about Phonon. Phonon, very cool. I met a person who was working on Phonon a long time ago. And Phonon is a multimedia api provided by cute and it is the standard abstraction layer this is important for handling multimedia streams within kde so i don't know if i would call it i mean that's just the text from the the file on the repo i don't know if i'd call it a, a framework for cute I, I mean it i guess it's it's becoming a framework for cute but it's 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 not, I don't think it's 100% there yet. Maybe it is. But the Phonon actually was developed exclusively or specifically for KDE back in 2004, I think. So they they come up with this sort of concept of, okay, well, we need a, a way to, to make sound play on our desktop, on our new Plasma desktop. How are we going to do that? And the idea is, like on some... It's an abstraction layer. So on some operating systems, for instance, uh, I'll talk about Mac even though that's not fair because I haven't used a Mac in over 10 years at this point. But on a Mac, I feel relatively sure that you could not, for instance, decide that you didn't want to use QuickTime as your media handler anymore. There, There's some exceptions to that, like a Magic. Uh, card or something like that where you're you're technically using something else for for the media playback, but generally speaking, and that's hardware anyway so so generally speaking you couldn't just say well you know what quicktime seems really limited to me i think i'd rather my desktop just use vlc and now you can install vlc on mac os you can set it as your default media player but when you record audio into uh, an application that was written for mac os you can't tell it uh, don't use the quicktime sort of engine to record this audio use VLC instead. It's going to record your you know your data, your audio through QuickTime because that's how the system is built. Again, you can you can play it back through QuickTime. Although actually you may not be able to. Like if you're in Logic Pro and you decide, you know, I'd really rather play this through VLC. Okay, well, bounce because that's not going to happen. You're going to play it through QuickTime if you if you render it or bounce it whatever freeze it no not freeze bounce if you bounce it then yes you can you can play it in vlc but you cannot just decide that your system is now going to use vlc on linux you can do that you can say, today I would rather use GStreamer and not VLC. Or you could say, I'd rather use VLC and not GStreamer. Uh, and th- I think there are other options as well. I haven't looked lately. And that's what Phonon does. Phonon essentially sets up the... I hate this word, but... the I mean, I don't hate it, but in this case, I feel like I'm being vague. But it sets up a framework, and it says, there are audio devices, and there is a file that wants to be played. How do I get those two things to hook up. And Phonon doesn't do it, but Phonon provides a place, a meeting place, for those devices, or, or a bridge, I guess, for those two devices. And that bridge, you have to make it out of something. It has to be either GStreamer, or VLC, or whatever other backends they are Zine, I think, X-I-N-E, that's one of them. You can, you can slot anything in there into the phonon container and then the file that the player, the user wants to play and their speakers that they've just plugged into their computers. Now those two things can happen. So this is, this is different from saying like going into settings and saying, oh, I want my default media player to be VLC. Oh, I want my default, where is that anyway? Default, default apps, default, yeah, default applications. If you go to settings and go to default applications, there's web browser, file manager, email, oh, so there's not even an option for media players. Interesting, okay, I didn't realize that. But this is different than saying, oh, I want my, you know, when I click on a movie, I want it to open up in Dragon, or when I click on a movie, I want it to open up in VLC. This is really actually saying, when you open up Dragon, how do you want that video to be played in, in Dragon? Do you want to do that through the VLC libraries or through the GStreamer library? What are you using to make that happen? And Phonon is is behind all of that. I don't know if that makes sense 100%. A little bit hard to picture. Um, I mean, it's, it's honestly a little bit hard to picture for me as well. And I've I've programmed stuff with VLC libraries before. So it, it is a little bit hard to, to imagine like this this thing that doesn't do the the actual work but hooks into something that does it's kind of weird but anyway that's that's what phonon does they are they are working on or have worked on tr- um d KDEifying it and making it general purpose use for cute which i could imagine would be really really useful um they may have already done it. I don't, I'm not sure. But uh, if not, they are. I mean, I've definitely, I've, I see wiki posts on cute.io uh, and wiki posts on kde.userbase.kde.org or something like that, where they they are talking about the work that needs to be done to get it uh, just in general cute. But for, For now, or at least as of this Slackware release, it was still a work in progress, as I understand it. The next package is Phonon backend GStreamer. You can guess what that is from the name. It's the GStreamer backend for Phonon. So that, that's the thing that lets Phonon use GStreamer. I don't know why GStreamer, uh, G-Streamer has a different package than, say, VLC. I'm not really sure. Maybe, maybe, I don't know, maybe Slackware isn't using the VLC libraries for that. I mean, that would kind of make sense, right? Because VLC doesn't actually come with the... The OS. So maybe, yeah, maybe there is, maybe it's just using GStreamer. I'm not sure. But with Phonon, you could install VLC and then select VLC as your as your backend. Okay, next up is Pilot Link. We're very close to Pipewire right now. Pilot Link, it's a library for communicating with Palm OS devices. I think I've mentioned this before. Don't exactly know. Oh, because, you know why? Because we were talking about KPilot. That's why I mentioned this before. So in whatever episode we were talking about KPilot, in would have been a while ago now uh i i said that long long ago and you can search this in your favorite search engine if you want but long ago there were these devices called palm palm i say palm palm pilots (laughs) palm pilot that's the other palm pilot is what it was called um and then from Palm, Palm Pilot, I think the like the founder of Palm, I think, left the company, but then started his own company called Handspring. And Handspring was a device exactly like the Palm Pilot, except, you know, slightly different. Uh, they came out with the Visor, V-I-S-O-R. And these were just little handheld like a cell phone, about the size of a cell phone. And you could take notes or load up text um, files on them, I think. Probably a lot of systems at the time had applications where you would, you know, you'd get to work in the morning uh, and you would put your Palm Pilot on your little dock and it would, and then you'd load all of your email onto it to read, you know, and then you'd take your Palm Pilot and like go to lunch, but you'd be reading your Palm Pilot with all your emails on it or something like that. Um, there was some kind of synchronization, maybe it wasn't emails, but it was like certainly like calendar, you know, daily agenda, that sort of thing. People were using it for that, that kind of activity. I, I, I happened to have a handspring advisor by a very chance, like it it was a weird, like I got one literally for free, uh, back when I was in university and it was, it was great. I mean, it wasn't a perfect device by any means. But when you have to commute to university an hour on a subway every morning and an hour back, uh, then having a Palm Pilot where you could read... I got so much reading done on those things. And I think that was probably mostly what I used it for. I, I don't remember like writing on it often. You could write. They, ha- they had a little stylus, and you and it had a special alphabet of simplified glyphs that, you know, it was like... Like English, but it was like hyper simplified. Like an A was just a sort of a, a a pointy, just the just the pointy part of the A. You didn't have to put the crossbar because that would have been too. You know, that would have been another stroke, right? So you everything was kind of like one one motion of your of your little stylus. Uh, pretty pretty quick to learn, really. And then that it would convert it would convert your your stylus movement into a typed letter. So it was it was neat. It was probably i think definitely ahead of its time um meaning that its ideas i think i think its ideas outpaced its capabilities but it was it was really popular for a while i think this was like palm pilot and then the next stop on the on the the hype uh train was probably blackberry i think and then from blackberry then it was just now like cell phones you know like that was just i mean i guess blackberry was a cell phone but i think early blackberries might have been i don't know different um probably were a lot of early implementations of things were different than the current ones um okay so that's pilot link if you want to link up your palm pilot device with your modern linux system you can uh palm link will be used by kpilot kpilot is of course the application that we've already discussed in a previous episode. Let's talk about PipeWire. This is why I this this was kind of the appeal for me. This this episode was going to be about PipeWire and it ended up being about Parted instead. It can also be about PipeWire because as it turns out there's not that much to say about PipeWire. PipeWire is the modern reimplementation or reinvention to replace Pulse audio. If you hate Pulse, you're going to possibly hate PipeWire, but PipeWire in my opinion is it's great. I mean, it's amazing. I mean, I, I never had a problem with Pulse either, to be honest. In fact, I quite appreciated what Pulse was doing for me. I've said before, I'll say it really quickly again, there used to be a time in Linux when you would be writing music with jack open and your d- digital audio workstation open, and and you'd want to go to a website and audition a sound that you think you're going to download, but you want to hear it first because, I mean, why not? C- couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. You'd have to you'd have to stop Jack. You'd have to switch your audio back in back over to ULSA or something weird like that or something or, or turn off jack so that you could then hear the web browser through ALSA. yeah that was what it was because the web browser couldn't talk to jack and and so you just didn't get to you know like that was an experience that you had on linux that no one else in the world was having there there was also already enough criticism about doing multimedia on linux without the grim reality that oh by the way if you're doing something in an audio application a professional level audio application you won't be able to do anything with sound anywhere else on your system not a great feeling yeah there are some jack and also bridges that you could probably set up and try to get around that but i mean you just figured out how to use jack let's just slow down okay so that was p- pulse alleviated that problem like it got rid of that problem which was amazing that was just amazing now pipe wire goes a s- couple of steps further pipe wire is Doing what Pulse does, it is it is it's got everything that Pulse has um, as of I want to say Fedora 34, um, and then and then since then there's been something like 40 releases, and they've added uh, effects, audio filters, and audio effects. They've offered uh, they've they've uh, added I think most importantly probably echo cancellation. That's not like uh, uh, echo cancellation f- for I mean. for for filtering thing that that's that's where you are looping back sound in your own system but you don't want to hear the sound that you have looped back you need to 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 exclude pipelines or pipe wires as you might think of them um from, from, from getting essentially feedback. Uh, and that's, that's been added. There has been, um, video support. So, oh, and, and re-implementation of Jack. So Pipewire can do, I think, most of what Jack can do. I haven't tested it fully yet. Uh, and I, my main, my main question is about, MIDI, and I'm not sure where that fits into all of this. I don't think it does, which is fine. I've never used, I've always just used the ALSA sequencer anyway, so I, I don't believe that would, I don't think that should be a domain of Pipewire. But but really, really significantly, is that Pipewire doesn't just do audio. It, it can also do uh, video. It can do video streams, which is important if you're, for instance, trying to work in uh you know an ardour project or a uh q project and you want you're trying to sync up your uh like maybe the sound effects that you're designing for your little short film or something you want to do that while watching the movie so that you can get things in sequence this is the kind of thing that pipewire could potentially eventually help you do and, and there's a lot more i mean like i said there's literally been something like 40 releases since since it sort of debuted in roundabout Fedora 34. I, I think Fedora 34 is the time that Fedora switched over to Pipewire, I think, or or, or at least it's shipped with Pipewire. Uh, so that was kind of a big deal. And Fedora is on 39 now. So And you know Fedora has short <laughs> release cycles. So uh, saying that there's been 40 releases means that it's quite actively developed right now. And, uh, and yeah, so Pipewire is doing cameras, it's doing videos, it's doing audio. It's ideally just sending sound all over the place and that's exactly what i want on my linux system i really do badly and i've wanted it for such a long time i have set up so many loopbacks and null devices or dummy devices where you then send your sound to the dummy device and then you load a module into pulse but if pulse has been launched with uh disabling module loading then you have to if to fix that you load a module to echo for echo cancellation and then maybe if you're lucky the thing that you're trying to send to sound to actually recognizes it it's just it's such a painful process, and with PipeWire it has been so much better. Like it just has, and it's not that everyone everywhere ever, always needs to be able to do weird sound routing. But I think for the people who, for whatever reason, want to, I, I I think that should be really easy on Linux. I mean, that's such a Linuxy thing to do, right? Just to say, oh yeah, I've got a sound over here. I've got a, a an application over here that will accept sound. Let's just hook those two things together. I mean, something as simple as like a soundboard in a video chat, like that should be so easy on Linux. I mean, you can just almost picture the application in your head. It would look a lot like Jack, but maybe prettier because it's 2024. And you could just draw a line from like, here's my media player. I'll draw a line, I'll, I'll drag a little noodle from this node to that node and now suddenly the inputs and outputs are lining up i don't understand why that's not easier to do and i'll go one further and say What if you have devices, like a phone, and you decide that, you know, you're watching a really great uh, video online, and you decide, well, I'm going to pick up my phone, I'm going to go into the kitchen to make myself a cup of coffee. Well, could I just crank up the speakers and hope I can still hear it over the kettle boiling? Or could I instead just flick my sound device over to my mobile device and suddenly have that video or that sound or whatever, or both playing on my mobile device that I'm going to now take into the next room. And it should be that easy. I mean, it should be that easy. And it isn't. And it hasn't been. And I don't know that it's that easy on any device. And I know you can, you can do fancy things like sign into Firefox and, and sync Firefox between your phone and your desktop. And, and then you could sign into like a the, the, whatever, you know, YouTube or whatever you're watching the video on maybe. And then I don't know, maybe there's some capability there. I don't know. I I bet you could do it with Chromecast. I don't really know anything about that either, but I'm imagining, I'm imagining somewhere someone has figured this stuff out. Um, I know that for instance, Apple has, what is it? AirPlay, which actually Pipewire interestingly supports AirPlay support and multiple sample rates. So you can use airplay, whatever that is. Uh oh, that's the speakers, right? The remote speakers throughout your house. So you can use that with pipe wires. You just send music to where you know, and that that's the kind of thing that should just that should be easy on Linux. That should not be something that's difficult. That should be so, so easy. And it's just not. And like I say, I don't know that it's easy anywhere. Um I mean it, I, I I imagine sending audio to an AirPlay device from a Mac OS device is probably easy. You probably select from a drop-down menu, uh, send this sound to AirPlay. There, done. That's great. That's great for them. That that's not my only use case though. I mean, yes, I I would love remote speakers that can just be targets for my for my audio or my video or whatever. But I want it even more agile than that. I want to be able to. F- flick audio from my laptop to my desktop to my mobile device. I want to be able to send it between applications. I just want there to be no bounds. And I don't think, I don't feel like there should be bounds. And of course, I'm saying this all just as if though, well, it should be so easy. And <laughs> yes, it probably should be easy. Um, but it's not. These are computers. And it, you know, someone's got to make this science fiction <laughs> in my head happen. Um and, and that's really what makes me so excited about Pipewire is because it, it seems to me that Vim Tayman is, that's the creator of Pipewire, it seems to me like Vim Tayman is um, making it happen. And that's really exciting. I mean, the, the idea that audio and video are finally <laughs> being synchronized by the same demon, that's, that's brilliant. Because, I mean, before you needed Jack, and then you, need, you needed X-Jade, or XJDO, XJADEO. You had to kind of hook those two together. And then, so then your video player, XJDO, is essentially tethered to your jack playhead. And then you start your audio application, which is also now tethered to the Jack playhead, and then that's what's synchronizing them. It works. It works quite well. I've used it. It's 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 great. But it's multiple steps. Not a whole lot of people know about XJDO. Not even really sure nowadays whether it's being maintained all that much. So so PipeWire to just handle all of that. That's, that's great. That that would be that would be amazing. So if you haven't tried PipeWire. You can try Pipewire, and you may not see a difference right away. Uh, I mean, ideally, you won't see a difference right away. But if you become root on your Slackware system, and then look in slash usr slash sbin for pipewire-enable.sh. That's a script by Patrick Volkerding. And it'll enable the pipewire daemon. And it'll make whatever adjustment it has to make to pulse. I still can't quite figure out the relationship between pipewire and pulse. But right now, essentially what happens, and I'll, I'll, so, so pipewire enable dot dot sh, that's in sbin. U- USR SBIN pipewire dash enable dot sh you run that it's super quick I mean it's just a configuration file change you run that and then I think do you have to r- log out and log back in maybe I'm not sure um but then do PACTA uh, PACTL that's pulse audio control PACTL space info and that oh, you, you you must not be root to do pactl info you have to be a normal user uh and for that it says the server name is pulse audio but then in parentheses it says on pipewire 0.3.44 in this case which i'm sure is a very outdated pipewire i should probably look into updating that um so so you're still yes you're using the pulse audio daemon but but it's the one from pipewire-pulse so it's not really pulse. Um that's once you do that, you switch you switch over to, to Pipewire. Now on um slackbuilds.org, there's a package called um wire Plumber. And if you install wire plumber, you'll find in USR slash sbin slash wireplumber dash enable dot sh. This has a couple of different tools to control um your your sound through your terminal to get some diagnostics uh, about about your sound system and and so on. So it's kind of it's kind of nice. I mean it's it's not necessary. You can you can use you don't have to use it, but you can. Uh you can use PipeWire without this. But if you have wire plumber installed you you can get quite a lot of information about what's happening on your systems uh, specifically with wpctl wire plumber control uh, status i think is what it's command pipe most yeah so wpctl space status and it tells you all of the different clients that are sort of uh, running on your computer which is really quite you know, I mean, quite informative. Like things that you don't maybe think of as audio clients, it'll tell you about, which which is kind of nice. So there's obviously Wire plumber There's um, Kmix. There's Speech Dispatcher. There's Firefox right now running on my system. Uh, there's Elisa. That's the music player. I just have that idling, in or you know, it's it's launched. It's it's in the system tray. I, I don't tend to, I doesn't really go away. Uh, Q Pulse, don't know what that is. Plasma PA, Pulse Audio, I guess. Audacity, Ulsa uh, plugin for Audacity, and so on. So lo- lots of different applications, and then it sees the devices as well. There's the CH321, the Handy Recorder Stereo Mix, uh, HD Pro Webcam, s- um, the-, the Starship Matisse HD Audio Controller, that's the sound card on this thing, and so on. So you get all kinds of diagnostics, you get to see what streams are active, what's capturing, what's playing, just everything you could want about about all of that. Devices and what, what driver has seen the device and has, is making it useful, or usable rather, yeah. It's, it's really quite amazing. Wire Plumber, um, Wire Plumber, and then specifically WPCTL. But I mean, Wire Plumber is from slackbuilds.org. It's not officially part of this, this discussion. Pipewire itself, I, I've just told you several features that it's going to introduce and that it has introduced. It's just going that much above and beyond what we're kind of where Pulse Audio left off. And that's just great because, yeah, I mean, we want these things to get better and better and better you don't really it's not all that much fun to be using linux and then to feel like <laughs> like you're giving up a bunch of features because you're using linux that's not the desired experience like linux is supposed to be the place you go for the features and it oftentimes is but sometimes you start to feel like the features are only meant for, like, the developers. And if that's not what makes you happy with your computer, then you want some of those features as well. And Pipewire truly, truly, I mean, it's it's an amazing little uh, engine that's making a bunch of cool things for users become more and more pop, uh, yeah, possible. I was going to say popular. So... For the users out there, myself including, uh, included, one of the coolest things I think I've seen in a long time is the uh, Helvum, H-E-L-V-U-M, Helvum um, application. It's a patch bay for pipe wire. This is a lot like patchage, is what the application used to be called, P well, is called, P A T C H. A G E patch, age, patchage, uh, patchage was is. I keep saying was because I I used to use it more than I do now. So to me, it's like something that I used to do, but it's actually something current. It's been updated, like it's it's an active project. I don't mean to make it sound like it's not important. It is important. It's a really great application. I really really like it, and it it's it has these little boxes, and the boxes represent different sound devices, whether it's again, your system sound, your sound card or a um, a software synthesizer that's generating sound and so on anything that shows up in jack you can view in patchage it's an alternate view to jack or it's maybe it's your only view if you're running jack from the terminal, which is what I used to do I would just um but I keep saying Everything is in the past tense. I, I guess I'm doing this because PipeWire has truly shaken everything up for me. So I'm, I'm kind of I'm kind of finding my new workflow now. But what I was doing with Jack is that I would I would launch Jack from a terminal, and that would just start the daemon. And then I would run Patchage, and that would show me everything available within, you know, to to Jack. And then I, I'd start my audio applications or my software synthesizer, and they would pop up there as little boxes. And then I would I would string you, you you draw little noodles, little wires, from one box to another box to to demonstrate I want this software, this this synthesizer, or rather this keyboard, this physical keyboard on my on, on my, my piano keyboard, on my desk, I want that to send its input over to this synthesizer. When that synthesizer receives a signal, I want it to put out output sound over to this application. And everything coming out of this application, I want to hear on my computer system. And, and you could change that up. You could detach a piano keyboard to another synthesizer. You could hook up two synthesizers or a synthesizer and a sequencer and send that over to your Application or or just straight to your sound output. If you don't you don't even have to be running a a a digital audio workstation. You can just play synths and maybe run a sequencer or something. Or not. You can just literally just play synths. So that that was patchage and that was great. Well, Helvum is that except for PipeWire. And I I haven't given it a run for its money yet. So I don't want to like I don't want to say that it's like replaced anything yet because I don't know that it has. But If you don't, if you, if I'm speaking Greek to you, uh, and you're not Greek, um, when I'm talking about like synths and sequencers and things like that, then Helvum might be perfect for you because what, what, you know, if you're not running any synths and things like that, and you just want to make sure that the sound from Firefox gets piped over to um, your OBS uh, studio recorder, your, your broadcaster, you can do that. And, and all you have to do is connect the little outputs to the inputs. And it's that easy. Like you can, you can just route system all around, uh, route s- sound all around on your system. You know, anything almost goes to anything else. It's it's just kind of amazing. Um, and, and yeah, you should, you should take a look at it. It's in, fl- it's, it's on Flathub, helvum Capital H hell of them. it's it's a beautiful application. Like really, like if you're if you're one of those people, you know, a quote unquote visual thinker or whatever. Like this is this is the application that you want. I guess it could maybe be prettier. Maybe the maybe the boxes could be like icons or something. I don't know. But I mean, to me, like it's amazing. And and there's there are a couple of them out there like that. There's also QPW, like cute uh, PW Pipewire Graph PQ. Uh, uh, qpw graph this is uh by the same guy who does uh q tractor so it's really nice as well it it's it, it does essentially the same thing it's got the inputs and the outputs it's got a slightly different visual look to it so one of those two Helvum or, or uh, q pw graph is is just it's just transformative i mean it absolutely makes interacting with your sound um just, just completely different, and and in a way, I I feel like it fulfills a lot of kind of the expectations. I wouldn't say it fulfills the promises of pulse audio because I don't think pulse audio really knew yet to promise this kind of thing, or maybe they did, but they just never got around to. It. I'm not sure. Uh, I don't remember ever hearing sort of like I, I don't remember ever exp- like sort of hearing promises about this kind of functionality. But I think once people saw what pulse could do i think ideas started happening it was just like hey why don't we why don't we go take this farther and pipewire is doing that so pipewire is amazing you you i i I hesitate to say you have to check it out because quite honestly you may not have to check it out maybe maybe you maybe it wouldn't make that much of a difference for you but if if you have ever found yourself going into the terminal and loading pulse audio modules manually or or adding dummy sound devices manually, or or trying to route sound with PACTL um, stops and statuses and restarts and things like that, just stop. Don't do not bother. Take take my word for it. It's not worth it. It is time to switch over to PipeWire. And again, user sbin PipeWire dash enable Patrick Volkerding's figured it all out for you. Just run that and then. Optionally, go to slackbuilds.org and install uh, wireplumber, and again, user sbin wireplumber-enable.sh, and you're good to go. Uh, Reboot, just always reboot. Um, I I will say one caveat to all of this has been I've got a Zoom recorder hooked up to my computer for the recording of my voice, Uh, and ever since switching over to Pipewire, I can't get the sample rate of my Zoom recorder to agree with the sample rate of audacity and i'm not sure why i've got audacity set to 44.1 i've got my zoom uh, set to 44.1 i don't know where the translation error is happening. I don't know if it's in the Zoom recorder, don't know if it's in Audacity, don't know if it's in Pipewire, but it has been a, since changing to Pipewire, there has been a mismatch between those two devices. And in fact, I've recorded this episode on uh, a headset, a USB headset that I have because the Zoom recorder is just not working right now. I mean, it's working, but it it records me uh, at a sample rate that is incorrect for my recorder. So that's been weird, and I'm not sure what's going on there. I have only tried it on Slackware, though. So it, it could be something, could be a configuration change that I've made long ago to my sound system that has now finally come around to not being compatible with the, you know, the the rest of the configuration. So further testing is required for that. I'm also at the point where, you know, I'm, I was kind of kind of been between my, I kind of think, uh, does it make sense to have my portable audio recorder tethered permanently to my computer because now i'm not using it so i've been thinking about getting a microphone anyway so this might be the thing to inspire me to actually save up the money and get the microphone and so on we'll see uh, either way though f- further testing is required because i do want to know what the problem is uh, whether or not i ever resolve it is another another question so anyway that oh and supposedly pipewire has better bluetooth r- support but i I don't have data on why that would be true, so I'm I'm not so sure about that. I mean, like, when they say better Bluetooth, and I I don't even know who they is. This is something I just heard online. I didn't hear in, like, an interview or anything. But I've heard people say, oh, Bluetooth will work better with Pipewire. I have not tried that yet. I keep forgetting to try it. But I I feel like Bluetooth is going to fail. Like, if it's a connection error, then it's going to fail either way, I would think. I wouldn't think PipeWire would be able to fix that, so I, I think maybe it maybe it depends on what the error is. Because surely the the ability to send sound to a Bluetooth, surely the error would be happening in the driver, not the sound server. I don't know. It's again lots of stuff to test. PipeWire is really cool. Like I say, if you've been modifying your pulse audio configuration, try PipeWire instead. You you might be glad that you did. Okay, that's really the most exciting thing about this episode for me. So with that, I think I think it's okay to, to, to call this episode done. And next time we'll start with Paul Kit, Paul Kit, Policy Kit. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next time. exceeds my expectations.